Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Dendren shortly. Then first up with less than 12 months till the women's 2023 World Cup on home soil. The line in the sand moment Tony Gustafsson referred to at the squad announcement for this week's series against Canada has arrived. Over the course of the next week, we'll find out whether Gustafsson has the Matildas back on track and whether his strategy of investing 18 months in the gap report, fringe players and depth pathways has uncovered the squad which will compete to the standard expected of Australia's beloved women's football team on the world stage. With eight wins in 24 matches since he was installed as head coach, everyone involved in Australian football is, as Steph Brantz wrote in her column on ESPN, desperate for some reassurance that their national team is on track for World Cup glory. We'll talk to former Matilda and pundit with 10 and Paramount Plus, Amy Chapman, to get a sense of what those closest to the squad are thinking. After that, Willem will dive a little deeper into the Matilda squad and also look at the form of the Socceroos a couple of weeks out from their World Cup farewell matches against New Zealand. Then with the Premier League ladder starting to show some sense of what we can expect this season, After looking at the unbeaten start of the Gunners last week, this week we crossed London to look at the newfound steel in their arch-rivals Tottenham Hotspur with our resident Spurs man and good friend of the show, Chief Football Writer with the Age, Michael Lynch. And of course, we'll wrap it up with everything else in stoppage time. Derek, uh, Michael is taking a week off, so welcome back to the hot seat. How are you, mate? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Rob. Uh, Good to be here in the hot seat. Yeah, good to have you here, mate. Uh, Lots of football going and uh, I know you enjoyed the conversation with our athletic guest uh, Art last week uh, on the Gunners. Um, Have you got a few uh, uh, arrows in the quiver ready to fire at Michael when we start talking about your... uh, Well, I'm not sure that you'd appreciate me referring to them as your nemesis squad, but um, you don't like them a lot. No, no, they are the nemesis. That's correct. But I hope the listeners of this show will realise I do try my best to uh, bury my my colours... for these kinds of things, I do have a few <laughs> probing questions for Lynchy. Uh, I don't f- maybe feel that the picture for Tottenham is as clear or as upbeat as it as it could be. So yeah, looking forward to uh, dissecting that with him. Yes, he will. And uh, Willem, um, I, I said off the top, um, you know, we're all desperate for some reassurance. Uh, I'm interested in our chat with Amy and how that plays out. Um, how are you feeling um, on the eve of uh, of the opening match of the series at Suncorp? You'd want to see a couple of wins, wouldn't you, Robert? Absolute minimum. Um, I'm not personally convinced on Tony Gustafsson. I'm probably not the closest track watcher when it comes uh, to the Matildas. Amy certainly is one of those, so very much looking forward to, uh, to her take on a couple of the burning issues. But I think you'd want to see uh, at least one win. Uh, they've, they've gone... An honest route. Uh, Canada are by no means uh, going to be easy beats. They are, of course, the the reigning Olympic gold medalists and ranked number seven in the world. Uh, we know that the Matildas are on the slide in that regard. Uh, so, yeah, not feeling overly confident, but looking forward to getting stuck uh, right into it as the show goes on. The highlight of me, though, uh, for me uh, this week, Rob, has been the Australia Cup, and it's going to have a new winner in 2022. Oakley Cannons, Brisbane Raw, and MacArthur have joined Sydney United in the semi-finals. 
Oakley and United are both a win away from becoming the first state league side to reach the final following victories over Sydney FC and Peninsula Power. United will play Brisbane at Adenza Park on Sunday, September 11, before Oakley welcome MacArthur to Jack Edwards Reserve on September 14. Let's have a chat about the Cannons, Rob. It's uh, it's the perfect mix, really, for a, for an NDL side to make a, a serious run at the tournament. Experienced guys have been there for years and years. Joe Guest, Chris Lucas, uh, Decker, Fashini. These guys uh, have all been around the NPL for a long, long time. Uh, and this night had it all, really. Uh, and I know that the uh, the storyline that caught your eye was uh, the man in goal, Luis Italiano. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, for those who, who weren't watching close enough, um, Luis Italiano, former uh, Oakley Cannon, uh, himself was uh, called over from Perth after a spate of injuries uh, left the Cannons without a, a starting goalkeeper. And uh, I was listening to, to Chris Lucas in the post-match uh, saying that he'd, he'd met him for the first time in the dressing room before the match. Uh, another story, I think, uh, Derek, um, you had a, a snigger when I, I mentioned this to you, was uh, was Joe Lolly coming off the bench. So uh, uh, less than a few months ago, he was... Uh, at Wembley, uh, as a key part of the uh, of the Nottingham Forest squad, who who got them promoted, um, the next minute he's at the Jack Edwards, losing to the Oakley Cannons as a as a substitute. So, uh, how, how did you refer uh, to to that um, contrast? Rob, I can't remember. I think I think you, I, th- I think I think you said it, it was oh, going it's like, from so, the, so it's going from the penthouse to the shit house. That's what you said. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, but uh, in reality, um, that was probably more a, a reflection on the result because uh, you know obviously in the FA Cup we see some of these minnow clubs uh, uh, and we we saw a lot of them during uh, during COVID um, uh, some wonderful stories that that cropped up there, but. Uh, uh, you were there, Willem, watching the cannons. Um, I think M- M- Suvlaki in one hand and, um, and and fist pumping in the other. Yeah, it was excellent, uh, and it, particularly across the first thirty minutes, you wouldn't have known which side was the uh, was made up of the full side uh, full time professionals. Derek, not like you to miss one there, mate. That's surely going from chocolates to boiled lollies for Joe. Yeah, something like that. I just wanted to know though, when with the when these games come around, Willem, you were there watching it. Was it a case of? the uh, cannons sort of bringing Sydney down to their level or is that a bit too condescending towards them and they just managed to raise their game up towards Sydney FC? It can certainly be that way on occasion, but yeah, not on this one. Um, if you have a look at the highlights, the interplay for the first goal uh, in particular was exceptional and they played at a, a reasonable tempo and were more than keen to have the ball. Uh, and yeah, Thoroughly outplayed them across the first half and held on, held on stoically at the end. So well done to Oakley Cannons and a big, uh, a big weekend, a big week in two weeks' time. Rob coming off the semi-finals. Yeah, I guess just the shame when um, when the draw came out that we didn't see two of the NSL sides uh, up against each other, wasn't it? Correct, yeah. Can't have it all, though. Can't have it all. So another cup set, and we will have one in the final. Channel 7 is firming as the free-to-air home of next year's Women's World Cup, with rights holders Optus reportedly unsatisfied with the offer made by Channel 10 and Paramount+. Plus. Optus are under no obligation to on-sell rights under Australia's anti-siphoning laws, but it's believed FIFA require a level of free access of matches played by a host nation in that country. It means the Matildas and knockout fixtures are likely to make their way to a free-to-air network with all matches still to be played live in demand with uh, with Optus on their app. Derek, that'll be a big disappointment for Ten and Paramount Plus, who we know are building uh, building their, uh, their... What's the word I'm looking here for, guys? Their catalogue and looking to be the home uh, of Australian football. So to miss a big crown jewel like a home World Cup uh, is, uh, yeah, considerable. I think it speaks to the the rise of the profile of, of the game, to be honest with you. I mean, Seven and Nine, who are the big free to broadcasters, have probably been a bit sniffy around these rights in the past, which has allowed 
the likes of Channel Ten, who do not have the budgets and the the means to to buy the bigger rights to come in and take these. So, um, Channel Seven obviously think that this is commercially viable. That they've sounded out various commercial partners that they're going to bring on board for the telecasters and um, free, you know, free to air. TV is now really all about those big strip formats, reality shows, and live sports. So when these kind of um, rights come on offer, then they're going to be they're going to be snap them up. So it's not a surprise to me, Willem. The Champions League group stage less than a week away, with Ange Postecoglou and Celtic drawn against holders Real Madrid, Shakhtar Donetsk, and RB Leipzig. Socceroos skipper Matt Ryan's Copenhagen will meet Manchester City, Borussia Dortmund and Sevilla. Derek, no doubt whatsoever over the group of death this time around. Spare a thought for Czech champions Victoria Pilsen. Uh, 14 European Cups are shared by the three teams in their group. Bayern Munich, Inter Milan and Barcelona. How do you think this one's going to play out? That is quite a group. I mean, look, I think Bayern Munich, I think we will always return to to them as the, the favourites for any Champions League group that they're in. I think Barcelona is the really interesting one. We might, in, if we get time in stoppage time, talk a little bit about transfer deadline day and some of the things that have been going on. But Barca has been one of those teams that have been very active in the window, lots of in and out, particularly in now that they've pulled their financial levers. And uh, even with Aubameyang going out of the door, that you'd like to think that on paper they've got a really strong team. But it will be interesting to see whether Xavi can craft that into not just a team that can compete in La Liga, but actually a team that can compete in Europe as well, because they were a long way away from that uh, last season and have been for certain seasons now. Let's head to World Cup corner. French authorities are investigating claims made by Paul Pogba that he's the target of a multi-million euro extortion plot allegedly organised by his brother and childhood friends. Pogba claims the group have demanded 13 million euros from him, accusing him of failing to support them during his career. Pogba's brother, Matthias, himself a professional footballer, has taken to Instagram, accusing Paul of, among other things, engaging in witchcraft and placing a spell on France teammate Kylian Mbappe to have him injured. Derek, think back to 2006. France didn't win the World Cup, but they made the final. And then in 2010, rocked up in South Africa and promptly imploded. Uh, They're trying desperately to keep this one under wraps. PSG manager Christophe Gaultier has said Mbappe isn't worried, but apparently he's keeping a close eye uh, on what's going on in the Pogba family. Yes, uh, I mean, we're looking at the wider context with the the French team. It is the old cliche that that France tend to turn up to these tournaments with the, the you know the best squad on paper, but they find a way to to blow themselves up. And you, you mentioned one of their more one of their more recent examples, but we also had uh, the, the storm around Benzema recently as well, and a supply, an alleged blackmail and a, and a sex tape scandal as well. Um, and then you bring this one, and you know Pogba and Mbappe are no doubt going to be two of the key figures for France as they attempt to uh, retain the uh, the World Cup and, and two key pivotal positions on the pitch. So they're going to have to try and sort this out. Um, professionally uh, to, to make to make that work, and, and I suppose it's just another part of the the Paul Pogba saga. And you know, I think everyone needs to be careful about trying to tar him with a certain brush. I think some of the criticism at Manchester United was kind of bordering on sort of xenophobic and, ra- and racist at times. Um, but um, you know, it's clearly not a good story, and clearly it's just yet another example of. You know what he carries around with with him, and what professional footballers uh, carry around with them. Whether or not it's his fault or not, you you can't comment. But it's it's not a good look. And as much as it sounds 
bizarre and a little bit comedy capers. Uh, it's a serious story here. I mean, if you want to get into the nuts and bolts of it a little, there's a great article on The Athletic by Joey D'Urso, um, headline, The Pogba Affair Explained, a Family Feud, Alleged Blackmail Plot and Witchcraft. So, I mean, obviously the essence of this is that his brother, Matthias, uh, you know, a former uh, professional player himself, is, is accusing uh, uh, his own brother of uh, of getting involved in 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 some sort of arcane uh, behaviour to uh, to uh, 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 prompt or cause injury to to his own teammate. Which, uh, uh, if it wasn't serious, uh, you would laugh at it. But the French officials um, uh, take seriously and 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 trying to work out with the French police if there's actually an extortion plot underway. So, um, look, the fact that we're in the, the French group, uh, I say. Um, some good might come out of this if uh, we're a little bit lucky and um, and the French uh, do revisit their um, efforts of the South African World Cup. And finally, the Iranian Football Federation is reportedly considering sacking national manager Dragon Skocic less than three months before the World Cup in favour of former boss Carlos Kiros. Kiros led Iran at the 2014 and 2018 World Cups and has been without a job since he was dismissed by Egypt after their loss in the AFCON final and failure to qualify for Qatar. IWF President Meditaj is being campaigned by players to see the former coach return, despite Scotchich's record of 15 wins from his 18 matches in charge. Rob, that'd be pretty stiff to be uh, given the Tijuana with a record like that. They are going to be in Group B with the USA, Wales, and England. And we did have the microscope on Kiros and uh, that Egyptian side at the end of uh, or during Afcon and. Uh, then those uh, those World Cup qualifiers, and they were playing some pretty boring dour stuff. So I'm not sure that's the way to go for Iran, despite the fact they love him. Yeah, well, I know if Edge was here, he's got Iran as one of the the bolters for for the World Cup and uh, performing well. It just doesn't make any sense to to those of us on the outside, given their track record and uh, um, the fact that uh, Kiros couldn't get um, Egypt through uh, through uh, Senegal. So uh, we will watch this space with interest. All right, Willem, well done. Uh, we are going to carry on with the conversation about the Matildas after the break. Amy Chapman, former Matilda 20 caps herself, is now one of the leading pundits uh, on football with 10 and Paramount Plus. And uh, are we right to be nervous? Uh, I think we are. Um, I, I'm happy to lay down those nerves um, if we get a result over the, the next week or so against Canada. We'll find out what Amy's thinking after the break when we chat to her about the two matches that the Matildas have against the Canadian reigning gold medal champions on Box to Box. White spices, they are the most important part of a foodie's kitchen, really. I mean, I always make sure it's hard for me to uh, to leave uh, the, the Great Hoyts uh, factory down there in Moorabbin in southeast Melbourne, visiting my good friend Johnny Accardo. He always wants to give me some extras. But, you know, when I'm cooking on the weekend, I know I need to pop down to Coles or Woolworths or uh, the independent supermarket to grab what I need to top up. Um, now, Derek, um, did, did your mum ever make a goulash when you were growing up? We had plenty of um, Scottish stews, and I think a goulash is a is a kind of stew, isn't it? So yeah, we probably weren't made the authentic Hungarian or, or Eastern mm. European version. But mm. when I have had the opportunity to to try them on the various stag do's across Eastern Europe that I've done <laughs> in the past, then it's always been uh, well received. Good for a hangover. Hey, what, what about you, Will? I'm just picturing Derek on a, in a in a Tottenham kit on a stag do in uh, in Hungary, tucking into a big bowl of uh, goulash. Uh, no, the paprika from uh, Hoyts is the best friend with the goulash, Rob. That's uh, that's absolutely crucial. 
You're absolutely spot on, mate. You need your beef steak. You need some flour, but you must have the paprika from Hoyt's. You need some Hoyt's bay leaves, some Hoyt's thyme. Get some of that dried parsley, obviously the salt and pepper. So Hoyt's, you know, pepper is the number one selling spice um, at Hoyt's. Basil leaves, some powdered garlic and onion. You've got it, everything. Once you've made the goulash and then just a nice big plonk of sour cream on the top of it and uh, and your mashed potato or rice or something along those. So, look, we all love eating on this show. We love our friends at Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Make sure when you're shopping that you grab that extra sachet. Don't throw the jars out, as the jingle says. Refill them with your Hoyt's value packs. You'll be happy if you do with Hoyt's at Coles, Woolworths and all good independent supermarkets. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box, and we're all a little bit nervous as we speak this week uh, because it's less than 12 months away till the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. And Tony Gustafsson at the recent squad announcement for this upcoming series of the Matildas uh, against Canada, he himself declared that it was a line in the sand moment uh, and that uh, after investing in 18 months of uh, Gap report, fringe players and depth pathways were finally going to uncover the squad that's going to take us to the World Cup. And to talk to us about that is a former Matilda herself and one of the leading pundits with 10 and Paramount Plus's excellent coverage of the game in Australia these days, Amy Chapman. And we welcome Amy back to the show. How are you, Amy? Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Amy, I'm a bit nervous. Um, and all the articles I'm reading are uh, talking about, uh, you know, the numbers are stark, says Sam Lewis on her article on the ABC. The team's just won eight of, uh, and drawn six of the 24 games since he arrived. Uh, I mean, it all sort of sounds the same. We've seen the results. Uh, uh, Tony Gustafsson has thrown the squad in at the deep end against the best opposition in the world. Uh, Canada coming to Australia. Admittedly, some of their, their leading players that won that gold medal are either retired or they're not travelling for various reasons. But the depth of that country right now as uh, the seventh-ranked nation in the world uh, – is something um, that we're really going to have to be at our level best to to uh, to compete against. Yeah, you're spot on. I think it is crunch time for Tony and for Football Australia and for the Matildas because it is less than 12 months now, and um, the, the the team, the fans, they they want progression and they want to feel confident coming into a home World Cup. So I think we can all agree the time for experimentation the masses is over. There's obviously always going to be some tweaks and some young ones, um, some bolters potentially, but uh, certainly there's, it's time for consistency. And I think this will be interesting. Some of the, the challenges Matildas have always faced has been against European teams. Traditionally, Matildas have never performed well against that style of football, but Canada's a different kettle of fish. If anything, they're very similar in style to how the Matildas play. So um, we've always sort of, put ourselves head-to-head against them. Canada now ranking seventh in the world and the, the Aussies slipping down to 12th off the back of the last sort of two years of results. So um, they are, a, a, you know, a, a point of measure for the Matildas and for Australian football and we would argue that we're right up there with them. So this will certainly be a good test. And and I mentioned um, that, that some of their best players aren't coming. Bev Priestman has, uh, has just qualified the squad 
through the CONCACAF W Championship uh, as recently as July, and uh, um, and she's in a preparatory stage for for uh, the World Cup themselves. So as you say, they're currently ranked number seven. They'll be without players like Deanne Rose, Vanessa Gillies, Jade Riviera, and uh, and Ashley Lawrence, um, as well as uh, Steph Lab, the goalkeeper who retired only in April. But uh, um, their their defence has been synonymous with that Canadian side and um, and that squad and, and their rise up the world rankings. But equally, the Matilda's defence has been the weakest link over the, the past uh, 12 months or so. And that's just not something we've been used to with the Matildas uh, in the years where we've known them as a, as a, 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 a top 10 um, side in the world. Is this something that, um, that Gustafsson has got a handle on? Uh, uh, I mean, that's the biggest worry. I mean, we don't have to be too concerned. I mean, we know Sam uh, Kerr and, and the, you know, the, um, uh, the, the, the attack can be world-class, but it's that defence um, of ours against uh, the Canadian defence. Yeah, certainly. I think that is the Matilda's shakiest point right now and potentially even in that holding midfielder point of view where we're spoilt for choice when it comes to number 10s and strikers. Um, but there needs to be a bit of consistency in that back three, potentially back four, and of obviously not having the utility of Ellie Carpenter, who is arguably Australia's most valuable player, there's certainly going to have to be some shuffling around. Potentially they're looking at some of those strikers, the likes of even Larissa Crummer coming in. She previously went to a World Cup as a right-back option and she's only ever really played as a striker. So they may have to get creative with the personnel they've got to try and um, cement a back three or back four that's going to work into that style. But... um, I think he needs to, to to settle himself on a squad and then find that style that suits them. You're, you're spot on. It's somewhat, something that's been a bit shaky for the Matildas and they've been exposed a number of times with that. I mean, all the talk in the lead-up has been about Gustafsson. And if we, but if we take the, the previous window away where it was genuinely experimental, do you think it's fair? I mean, he's the figurehead. He's the, the appointed uh, coach and you can't sack every player. But when you look down the list of the Matildas and the caps that they've They've, uh, they've, they've racked up and the amount of time that they've played together and grown up together on the football pitch, uh, they are yet to leave the mark on the major tournament that they so desire. So do you think maybe the discourse is skewed uh, in terms of the criticism too much towards the coach or do you think the balance is right? Yeah, I think it, it's a game-by-game basis, really. Some of the criticism, I think, has been right. Uh, obviously, if we look at the Asian Cup, it's, it's a tournament where you expect results and, and they didn't get where they needed to. So I think the criticism is right there. The most recent games, obviously... That was 90% of the normal Matilda squad was not there. And Australia is not a massive country. We do not have the people uh, to choose from, like the likes of the US, UK, Canada. We just don't have the sheer numbers playing at that level. So squad depth is always going to be a problem. Talent in that top team is not a problem. And I don't think he's got the mix right yet. We've seen glimpses of it. We've certainly seen games. But... um, Like, for me, I also give a little bit of wiggle room. It's been COVID. It's been exceptionally difficult for players to maintain their fitness, for players to travel. So in his time, it has been tricky to get that consistency. But, um, you know, Football Australia are backing him, so we now need to see the reasons why they're backing him. And we need to see the likes of some of these stars, Hayley Rasso, Sam Kerr at club level playing phenomenally, but... We need everyone firing if we want to really get a good result. In positive news, a great uh, boon with the return of Chloe Legazzo, perhaps ahead of what might have been expected, having only torn her ACL uh, in September. Uh, vastly experienced for 27 years old. Might be a little bit early to take the park from what we've heard uh, for these two, but great to have her uh, back in camp. So what sort of impact will that have uh, on the group? 
Yeah, absolutely. Chloe's a, a wonderful character and her work rate is is phenomenal, but uh, I would be very surprised if she we see her with uh, shin pads in hand at any point, but just having her around the, the squad, back around the team is really important. She's clearly a factor he has in his mind for the World Cup and um, there's three players now all coming back from ACLs, if you include Chloe. There's Elise Kellen Knight, which is she's gone off the radar slightly because she had some hiccups with her ACLs, but she's playing full games over in Sweden. So she's one to watch out for. And then finally, obviously, Ellie Carpenter, who um, will definitely be back in time for the World Cup, but in what kind of shape is um, time will tell. Just jumping off the senior Matilda squad before I throw back to Rob, you mentioned that we don't have the depth of the US, the UK and uh, and Canada perhaps, but uh, we have just had a little bit of uh, success at the AWF uh, under-18 championships and also the under-20 uh, World Cup. I say a little bit of success. Was there anything there uh, that really jumped out of you as uh, something that could have uh, an impact over the next sort of, uh, well, not five years, but within this sort of World Cup cycle, were there any particular players, uh, probably more so in the under-20 World Cup, that you think might be able to come into the mix later on? Yeah, it was a difficult one because they didn't get a lot of preparation time getting called into the World Cup sort of last minute, but it's great to see these youngsters getting an opportunity to play at international level uh, and challenge themselves, see where we are against the likes of Spain and Japan and these countries that have a lot of depth and some really good um club and academy systems coming through so it was a good test there are some youngsters that are showing a lot of potential i think very few will be able to make that step in the next 12 months but um, we need to see more youth national teams playing at world cups and um, it's been something that both men and women have struggled to qualify for in the past this series so we we talked off the top of the show um, about the positive outcome here the positive outcome is that uh, the Tony Gustafsson's um, stated strategy uh, is um, franked and uh, and we do see uh, the Matildas um, settle into a strategy against a world-class side uh, and and start to move forward into uh, the the final uh, 10 months of the World Cup but on the flip side there is also the chance that we don't and we have to all uh, accept that that may well be the case over the the, uh, the next four or five days uh, uh, We've got a big match um, as we speak tomorrow afternoon. Some of our listeners will be listening to this afterwards, so they'll know the result. And then we've got uh, one of the big matches at the brand new Allianz Stadium in Sydney. So so what if it doesn't work out? And what if we don't do well? Um, it's all well and good for Football Australia to say that they're backing their man, um, because you would say that. Um, we all know that in sport that the, the last thing a manager wants to hear is that they've got the full support of the board. Uh, that sort of sounds like it this case. So I'm going to ask you the question directly, Amy, what's your view if, we, if it doesn't work? work out um do we get on the phone and ring jill ellis uh, joe montemuro uh, are, are these the alternatives that we need to seriously consider if it, it doesn't work out for the matildas over the next week well i think history will tell us that changing coast coach last minute um prior to building into a tournament when we lost the likes of stadge at the last world cup uh didn't work so but it worked for serena Wiegman, Wiegman in, in england she had 308 days and won won the lot that that's very true so i think the there needs to be in the next couple of games, in the next months, some a big statements. And I think we're capable of making a statement against Canada. Um, certainly the, the question marks are over uh, you know, on top of Tony about whether he's the right man to do the, do the job. There's enough talent in this squad that we should be beating the likes of Canada. Um, and it's been tricky because some of the choices of games they've chosen to play recently, New Zealand, we're expected to beat New Zealand. So even though you do, there's no there's no brownie points for anyone for beating those teams. And then picking the, the likes of France and the Netherlands and losing convincingly to them in time has certainly um, 
yeah, raised some massive question marks about whether Tony is the right man for the job. But um, I'm sure Football Australia are brave enough to make a decision if that is the case. And the, these next two games are really crucial for that. And, and what's the community of Matildas that you associate with? I guess uh, everyone's got a different opinion to, to, to suggest that, that there's a, a communal view of the Matildas past Matildas would be ridiculous that it'd be the same as the general public's view but is there a a feeling that you get from your conversations with your former colleagues? Yeah I mean and I'm still quite close to a lot of the players that are within that camp and a lot of people are are still really backing him and I think there's a lot of games where you can almost bring up reasons as to why look we had x amount of youngsters playing Um, so I the, the general consensus from inside the camp is they do back Tony. They like the culture that he brings um, and they're all looking upon themselves slightly as well. Have we done enough? Have we been fit enough? Have we been playing in the right leagues to build up to pr- the, the biggest tournament they'll ever play in? So um, I think there's a lot of reflection of the players on themselves and the, the general culture, though, is is very, very good within the camp. But um, mm. culture isn't everything to win your medals and there's a lot, big expectation on these players. So... The culture and the results need to come hand in hand. Yeah, well, I think we all agree that um, that 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 negative devil's outcome, devil's advocate outcome, is not one we want to be discussing because uh, we do know the Matildas do tend to lift, like all countries do, when they're playing in front of big crowds on home soil. And this is a bit of a test case playing at uh, SunCorp, which is one of the great football uh, stadiums in Australia, and 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 also being part of the the opening of this brand new. Uh, close to a billion dollar stadium in Sydney is going to be just a, a real special experience and and so provided that um, that we can get through this with some strong performances and good stuff and you know, can get a tune out of of the squad uh, then uh, you just expect we see it all the time don't we it's very rare that a home nation uh, doesn't perform well in its own uh, own world cup especially when they're ranked as highly as the Matildas. Yeah, and I think it's a big difference between friendlies and obviously a World Cup. It can be, you've certainly got the backing of the people and some of the crowds the Matildas have been getting recently have been phenomenal, which is fantastic. But there's there's a big, big difference between the pressure of a world, home World Cup um, mm. and it'll be fascinating to see what the draw comes out like and, and who Australia get in the coming months. Um, and then we need to plan at how we approach those games because you know we've had a lot of success against playing against asian teams very little success playing against european teams uh yeah. south american teams and um we've always competed well but um mm. if, if you want to win the top gong you've got to be beating these european teams now so there needs to be some ad- adaptation and some more challenges to, to get the job done yeah, and that'll be interesting. And Bev Priestman, um, she's uh, won that gold medal. She's coming down here um, to, to acclimatise and get used to uh, uh, this country. So they'll be um, expecting a, a, an outcome as well. Hey, Amy, thanks again for, for coming on and, and having a chat. Um, like all Australian football supporters, we love the Matildas uh, and we just so want them to do well. Um, we're obviously a bit concerned like everybody else is because we haven't seen the results we wanted. But, uh, hey, I think we'll all forget about it if uh, if uh, the corner gets turned this weekend and uh, and they do well um, in, the, in the World Cup um, later next year. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Excellent, Amy. Keep up the good work on 10 and Paramount Plus as well. We'll be watching. Okay, stick around. After the break, we're going to dig a little deeper into that Matilda squad we've just talked about and, uh, and have a look at the Socceroos with, uh, with only a couple of weeks away from their farewell matches against New Zealand on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. 
Okay, this is Box to Box. Good chat with Amy Chapman there. We're going to dig a little deeper with Willem in a moment. Uh, the Matildas squad, obviously, the Socceroos, a couple of weeks out from their World Cup farewell matches against New Zealand. So where did you want to pick it up where we, we left off with there, Amy? Willem? I wanted to throw it to Derek. Um, Derek's been, obviously, had a listen to our chat with Amy and you've been viewing the Matildas as a neutral over the past sort of 12 months or so and listening to a lot of heated debate around sort of our table uh, over them. Uh, we are 10 months out from the World Cup, as, as a bit mentioned a few times and uh, Tony Gustafsson hasn't quite settled uh, and if this time next week we've had a couple of bad losses having also viewed Serena Wiegmann's uh, success in charge of the English national team do you think 10 months is long enough to make a change? I think it's probably the the bare minimum that that's required and you mentioned Serena Wiegmann before and the incredible impact that she had on the the England team I think she had about 300 days herself with with that team and had some dramatic results, but I just think this this World Cup is is so important for for Australian football in general that I just don't think that they can take a risk with this and having an underperforming, underwhelming Matildas team going into this World Cup. I just don't think it really is an option. And you mentioned you know earlier that they're going to be coming up against the likes of Canada, high caliber opposition. This will be an opportunity to see just where they're at. I think that the the game where they lost 7-0 to Spain was seen as more of a an aberration or, a, or an outlier as opposed to the, the true level in the squad. Of course, they've got the likes of Sam Kerr and others who would come in and make, make that team better. But I'm sure that there'll be people at the... Um, the football Australia in Australia, looking at the England story and wondering and seeing how England won on their home patch with a new um, with a new manager, and they might be thinking the same thing. Well, let's just be the devil's advocate for a moment here. Um, the positive news uh, of the next week is, of course, the Matildas do well; they get a win and a, a competitive result, or at the very least, it's a competitive series where we see uh, a. a, a a squad and and a strategy and and a solid defence, most importantly, which has uh, been the, one of the Matilda's biggest issues over the past uh, 12 months or so since Tony Gustafsson took over. Um, on the flip side, we don't. We see some of the, the kind of uh, uh, leaky defence um, and uh, and lack of organisation on the pitch that, uh, that we've seen over the, the results which we're all too familiar with most recently, of course, that hammering against Spain, albeit with a weaker squad. The first person uh, that uh, you talk to uh, is, uh, in my view, Jill Ellis. Uh, Jill Ellis, from uh, what the the pundits were saying uh, prior to Gustafsson being uh, appointed, was the first choice of Australia. Obviously, Jill Ellis, uh, for those uh, who follow closely, are well aware that she was the the coach of the the, the all-conquering Women's United States side from uh, 2014 to 2019 and associated with that that, uh, program for many, many years. Is it possible to to get somebody like that over for a short term and do this kind of fix? Because we did see it with Gus Hitting back in 2006. You know, he was appointed late. And I mean, Frank Farina at the time uh, was expected to take Australia to that World Cup if we had a qualified. I'm not so sure. I think if we approached Jill the first time and sold the package as through to the World Cup sort of thing, I don't think that necessarily changes now. Yes, there's less sort of work to do in the interim, but... Uh, for me, that would make it less attractive. You've, it's an even sort of more desperate situation with less time on the clock. So I'm not sure if Jill said no the first time that she'd come back the second time. Uh, what about Joe Montemuro, Rob? He's uh, he's a fair way down the path with his uh, his management career now from uh, from when he was at Arsenal with Juventus. He's been and he's uh, he's he's coached the biggest club in the uh, in the country. 
to uh, to multiple titles in his first season. So maybe he'd be the option as opposed to Jill. Yeah, look, my, my preference is clearly Jill. Um, if, uh, if she's unavailable, I think some of the, the talk around Jill is that she had elderly parents or has elderly parents. Um, uh, she's only 55 years old at the moment and, and, and didn't want to be away for a long stretch of time. So my argument is that a shorter stretch of time might suit her. Um, uh, the, um, the argument for Joe Montemiro is clear. He won pretty much everything there was on offer at Arsenal and uh, um, and when you when you get headhunted uh, to uh, the Italian uh, women's competition uh, with Juventus, um, you're clearly uh, regarded highly around the world. So if if it wasn't Jill Ellis, then uh, then I'd have to think that Montemiro would would be the next one that um, that Football Australia would uh, be knocking on the door of. Although I said off the top, I'm not particularly confident with Gustafsson. I really don't want to see a change. It's been such a theme of Australian football, not necessarily under this uh, this hierarchy, Rob, uh, but certainly in the corridors of power. I think Holger Rossiak getting the flick, having qualified for 2013, and leaving before uh, having qualified for 2018, leaving in late 2017. Stajic, of course, there we mentioned that in 2019. So it would be nice to have some consistency heading into a World Cup for once. Let's have a look at a couple of the form lines of our Socceroos and Matildas around the globe, starting with Lydia Williams, who's made her debut for PSG in their cup clash with Lyon. She did unfortunately concede the game's only goal to fall 1-0, but good to see her get the gloves. Their league season begins next week against Soyu Chorente. To Sweden, all of Cairo, Cooney Cross, Elise, Kellen Knight and Courtney Nevin started for Hammerby in their 3-0 win over Umeo, while Claire Polkinghorne scored for Vizio in their one-all draw with Kalmar. Good news, Aidan Rustic looks to have found a way out of Eintracht Frankfurt, signing a three, or he has found a way out, signing a three-year deal with Verona. He did have a year to run on his deal in Germany, but he hasn't featured at all this season, uh, and he is going to move to 16th place, Verona Rob. Uh, they're going to pay a reported $750,000. So that is uh, brilliant news ahead of the World Cup because he is going to be uh, a key player, particularly with no news on the Tom Rogic front. Yeah, well, he was uh, it was important for us in those two final qualifiers and uh, famously scored a, a vital penalty when they won the um, the Europa Cup um, in, in the last season. So uh, Aidan Rustic uh, can certainly play. He's got a lovely city to be going to just quietly in Verona, the home of uh, the mythical Romeo and Remember Juliet, Juliet yeah, exactly with its beautiful Colosseum uh, in the city. So if uh, um, if anything, he's going to uh, enjoy his time in in the north of Italy. But uh, but look, uh, any any. Um, contract in City R means you're you're playing at uh, at as close to the top level as any Australian footballer is right now. So uh, uh, so whether his club is going particularly well or otherwise, he's going to be playing at a very high level. So uh, um, that's the one thing we need of him uh, as uh, somebody who will be a key player because, uh, you know, the mystery of Tom Rogic continues. Uh, what's going on there? Adam Peacock wrote a great article in the News Limited newspapers uh, analysing the availability and the likelihood, the possibles and probables of every uh, of every. Socceroo um, playing around the world, and uh, and instead of writing maybe yes certainty whatever he against Tom Rogic's name, he just wrote who knows. And when when you when you're writing that sort of line against a bloke who is so important to our squad uh, when he's at his best, uh, um, I think for uh, for um, the Australian lineup and and um, and Graham Arnold, they they just need to probably just draw a line through him at the moment and um, and focus on a bloke like Rostich. Certainly seems that way. And there was an awkward little translation uh, from. Italian into English for Verona's announcement of Rustich. They described him as their furthest ever player with a little kangaroo. Uh, Aaron Moyes made his first start for Celtic, playing 90 minutes in their 4-1 League Cup win over Ross County. So that's good news as well. Celtic take a two-point lead into this weekend's Old Firm 
derby, uh, the first of the campaign. Uh, and they also enjoyed a 9-0 win over Dundee United last weekend, which we'll touch on in stoppage time. Derek, sad news elsewhere in Scotland. Kai Rolls was on the score sheet, but also in the physio room for Hearts in their 3-2 win over St. Johnston. Uh, he has injured his right metatarsal. And he's going to be out for between 6-8. to eight, So that is going to be tight to get to Qatar. And Nathaniel Atkinson also followed him off the ground with a groin complaint. So uh, not good at all, Rob. Two of our uh, finest performers, particularly in the uh, Peru clash. I guess the only upside, exactly. Kai Rolls was immense. Um one of the, the key uh, uh, players in, in getting Australia over the line in, uh, in in that match you reference in particular, but uh, you know a broken metatarsal. The only upside of that is it's not an ACL or or, or a joint injury where he'd be absolutely out of the of the, of the running uh, you know broken bones. Um, if uh, if uh, they recover in time and he can um, keep his fitness up, then um, then he, he's a squad member. But no doubt the competition or the tournament goes for well hopefully a month a minimum of two weeks. But uh, uh, he's not out of it altogether. And finally. We know Football Australia are in the midst of celebrating the centenary of the Socceroos with the the crescendo to be this month's uh, friendlies against New Zealand either side of the Tasman. Voting for the team of the century has been open for a little while and if you haven't had a look yet, jump on. You've got about another week to do so, I believe. And the nominations are now also out for our goal of the century. There are 14 goals nominated, uh, starting with Jimmy Mackay against South Korea in 1973 to seal qualification to the World Cup for the first time. Charlie Yankos is there a couple of times against Argentina and Israel. Tim Cahill has three nominations. Uh, having a look at them, it looks like they're based on the quality of the individual goal rather than uh, the the broader context, if that makes sense. Uh, if that was the case, there'd be a few others in there. Uh, but Derek, you've had a look at all these uh, dispassionately, for want of a better term. Which one, uh, without the green and gold goggles on, although you are now uh, a proud Australian, would you consider the best pure goal? I think it sounds obvious, but it's, it's Tim Cahill versus the Netherlands is is my pick for that. Uh, reason being, given the stage that it was on, given the opposition they were playing, uh, the technique itself was absolutely magnificent. It was on his wrong foot. If it was Zinedine Zidane had done that, people would still be going on about that goal. And um, the, the fact that he took that down, long pass across the pitch, and he took it first time. And like any good goal... Kissing the underside of the bar is critical for for any you know Tony Yeboah for Leeds in the in the nineties. You need to kiss the underside of the bar and go in. And of course, this celebration was uh, fantastic as well. So Cahill versus the Netherlands for me. And you know what? Because he was Australian and it wasn't Zinedine Zidane, he didn't win the goal of the tournament, did he? No, he didn't. We was robbed. Hamas Rodriguez against Uruguay. It was had the uh, the fortnight or the month of his life. Uh, but no, it was Cahill. Come on. All right, uh, stick around after the break. We are going to switch to, well, it's uh, Derek's home ground. He's going to enjoy it. Uh, he's not a big fan of uh, the men of White Hart Lane, but he will deign to speak of them with as much, um, um, oh, well, let's just say uh, respect as he can possibly muster as the uh, eager gunner that he is. Our good mate, Tony. Tony, it's not Tony Lynch. It's Michael Lynch from The Age. The chief football writer is next on Box to Box. Oh, Willem, can you give me a woohoo? Bup, bup, bup. Oh, there we go. We've got a double harmony in the background. Bup, bup. Safe big on vitamins at, of course, Chemist Warehouse. There's Wagner Super Biomagnesium 100 tablets for $9.99. Save 35% off the everyday low price. Save 45% off the recommended retail price on Blackmore's Bio C. Correct. We might be coming out of winter, but you still need that vitamin C. Bio C 1000 Blackmore's 150 tablets, $24.99. And save 30% off the recommended retail price of Nature's Own Super B. 
complex 75 tablets now 17.99 derek i know i take a vitamin b tablet every day always good just to calm the uh, mm. the waters vitamin b fantastic you want a good night's sleep Microgenics Sound A Sleep 60 Capsules, $9.99. That's better than half price. Chemist Warehouse. Gentlemen, uh, have you been to your local Chemist Warehouse? What's the nearest one to uh, where you live in uh, in semi-regional Victoria, Derek? Oh, that would be the Lilydale Chemist Warehouse, I would, I would have thought. And, uh, yeah, down there pretty regularly at this time of year. Uh, the, the daughter is bringing home all sorts of fun diseases from daycare so it's never a never a dull moment so yeah we need to, we, we always have to do our chemist warehouse dash rob they do and well your finals are over now so you get some of that recovery uh, protein powder uh yes i do very much so and just going back on what you said earlier rob was that 60 nights of the best sleep you could possibly get for ten dollars <laughs> look i couldn't have said it better myself nine dollars 99 in fact nine ninety nine change that's pretty 100%. good Microchips, That's pretty good. Saturday sleep, 100%. Now, um, and if you hear this before Father's Day, sneak into Chemist Warehouse and buy Dad some fragrance. Don't tell him I told you so, but if you've forgotten to buy something for Dad, you can get some of the best fragrances around for Father's Day. If you're listening afterwards, well, okay, um, you uh, work it out. Anyway, Chemist Warehouse, you know, the great savings there are every single day. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Now everyone who listens to this show regularly loves knows we love to travel the world and speak to international journalists about the, the top flight competitions. But when you've got somebody of the stature of Michael Lynch at home, the Chief Football Writer of the Age. Why would you go any further than the boundaries of your home to talk about the club that he has loved since he was a boy? And, of course, that is Tottenham Hotspur showing some steel under Conte this season. Welcome back to the show, Lynchy. Yeah, great to be here. Sure is, mate. Now, um, is steel a fair word to, to use to describe what we're seeing? I mean, now we, we watched them at the Olympic uh, Stadium against Spurs uh, the other day, and, uh, and they look like... Uh, uh, they were um, they were going to concede uh, um, the the the, um, the the goal that would have um, won West Ham all three points. But um, but you know in that cauldron that is the Olympic Stadium against a West Ham side who, albeit are not uh, not uh, performing to the same level that they were uh, last season, um, it was uh, it was a point that uh, that Spurs need to be winning this season. Well, yeah. I mean, last year, Tottenham went to the London Stadium and got beat, didn't they? 1-0, I think it was. And a pretty lacklustre performance. And um, to be fair, it, well, it wasn't uh, what you might call an exhilarating game. But I felt that until West Ham scored, Spurs were sort of in control. You know, they were 1-0 up. They had what looked like a legitimate penalty uh, decision overturned by the VAR. And while they weren't tearing up any trees, they they sort of looked like they were keeping West Ham at reasonable arm's length. But uh, after that goal went in, it certainly lifted the hammers, as did the penalty um, uh, overturn. And um, they finished, uh, yeah, they finished with a wet sail, West Ham. You'd probably say that on balance, the draw was probably a reasonable result, although West Ham more than Spurs at the end would have felt, you know, they, they could have got all three points. Um, and they're improving, you know, their league type, their league position, probably not a, a good uh, reflection of where they are. Um, they they strengthen bringing in Paqueta from Lyon, 
in France, the Brazilian international, and um, you know that, that that going going to West Ham and getting a point is a good result. If you said that before a ball was kicked this season, that you'll go to West Ham and you'll get a point. Most Spurs fans would have gone, yeah, all right, we'll take that. Do you think, too, just given the start, Lynchy, the first um, five games, um, Spurs are unbeaten. They've won three games, drawn two. Um, surely uh, any Spurs fan would have taken this sort of start if you'd been offered it at the start of the season? Yeah, certainly I think where the points are concerned. Actually, I think they're unbeaten in 11. If you go back, I don't think they lost in the last five or six last season as well. But, um, yeah, I think before the ball was kicked, uh, most Tottenham fans would have looked at these opening five games, you know, including away trips to Chelsea and West Ham, um, and, and, you know, with, a, with an away trip to Forest and, and home games against Southampton and Wolves. And I think most of us would have thought 10 points was a pass mark, 11 was a better pass mark, and anything more was, you know, a, a real bonus. So I think, I think it's a pretty decent... Uh, You'd give them a seven and a half out of ten, probably in terms of the points accrued. In terms of the style of the performances, it's a bit of a different story. I think they've only really played probably when they went one nil down at home against Southampton before beating them four one. They probably played for eighty minutes in that game, and probably the second half against Wolves at White Hart Lane, uh, a game they did win one nil. Um, the rest of the performances. Um, they haven't really been that scintillating, but this is a different Tottenham, as as uh, Rob said. There's a, a lot more steel about it. They're not as flaky as they used to be. Um, you know, the the game, the game against um, uh, Chelsea for sure. They would have lost that, even probably last week. Well, they did. They lost three times to Chelsea last season, twice in the league, and once in the and twice actually in League Cup. League Cup as well, so the semi-final. So that was four defeats to to Chelsea. So to come back with a 95th minute uh, leveller um, to get two to a draw showed a lot of steel. I think there's two ways of looking at it. You can say, look, they're third on the table with 11 points and they haven't played well at all. Um, so that's a sign of a good team and it will get a bit better once they start to gel with Bissouma, Perisic and the other, Richarlison gets a run and they all really start gelling. Or you can go, oh, God, you know, their, their performances are terrible. Are they actually overachieving for where they are? I, I like to think it's the former. Um, but I would like to see Conte shake things up a bit. You know, we all love Sonny, but really he's been a bit off it this season. Um, so I'd like to see Richarlison get a start, perhaps at Son's expense for the game against Fulham very much hope that Romero, who is a crucial um, ingredient, not just as perhaps the toughest defender, I think he's become a cult figure very quickly at White Hart Lane, but I think most other fans of most clubs recognise what a terrific player he is as well. But he's, he's a very important component of this team, not just as a defender, but he's, his ability to carry the ball out from the back, start attacks or step forward and win the ball. Um, through interceptions higher up the pitch than centre-backs normally do. That's a, that's an important component which has been missing since that Chelsea game. So I, I hope he's back in the side for Saturday's clash against Fulham. I'd like to see Richarlison in, uh, perhaps with Sonny on the bench, and perhaps Bissouma 
partner in Betancourt if he's back from injury because I think his absence against West Ham was duly notified. He's a he's a bloke who can take the ball under enormous pressure in midfield and t- takes it on the turn and plays progressive passes forward. So the Uruguayan was missing and I think um, perhaps, you know, Tottenham fans might not have realised what an important component he was until he wasn't there. Yeah, you've name-checked uh, a bunch of the diff- of the signings that uh, Conte is bringing in this season. He's come out and said that he thinks he needs two more transfer windows in order to make uh, Spurs into title contenders. Um, we always have to take what Antonio says with a little pinch of salt. Do you think there's some truth in what he's trying to say? Is this just a gambit to put pressure on the board? Uh, or is he uh, just a bit of self-defence there? I don't know if it's self-defence. I think he's a brutal realist, a pragmatist. I mean, you're talking about nation states that you're trying to compete with or massive conglomerates. I mean, you know, Manchester City are a nation state club. Um, you know, Liverpool uh, are not, but, but but they look a bit off it this season, despite um, that 9-0 thumping at Bournemouth. Um, I, I think Spurs are in a race, along with Liverpool, Arsenal, what may be a resurgent United and a Chelsea who can't be as bad as they look. I'd say those four clubs are probably in a race for second best for the rest at the moment. Realistic title contenders. It's very hard to see while Guardiola's in charge and the bottomless reserves of nation-state funding are there for Manchester City. And we'll also see increasingly Newcastle, who have spent £230 million this calendar year, I heard on a podcast, which is more than Man City, Madrid, PSG, or any of those big clubs have ever spent in any calendar year ever. And I presume that Newcastle will are only just starting to open the purse strings there. So um, winning a title, I, I, I think, you know, we have to stop thinking about it as winning the English League. You're actually talking about winning the World League. Um, you know, with the exception of Bayern Munich, PSG, um, Real Madrid, and Barca, although they're financially doping at the moment, it's a joke the way they're carrying on about it. But with the exception of maybe four or five other big European clubs, the Premier League is the World League. So, and I, I doubt Real Madrid would win the Premier League. I, I doubt any of those clubs. I maybe give Bar- uh, Bayern a shout, but um, I don't think any of those other clubs would 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 win the Premier League. So, um, so to to. To say we need another two windows to win the Premier League is probably right, but we have to actually um, acknowledge what an enormous task that is. And certainly Conte is box office where wherever he goes. You mentioned the possible handball against West Ham and he, and he left uh, journalists in no doubt after the game as to what he thought of that. You know, he could start a fight in a phone box by himself for wouldn't like to spill his pint um, in the in the pub, but it's it's pure theatre. From a Tottenham point of view, is this a double-edged sword? As in, you've got the manager, obviously, with pedigree, huge reputation, probably for a change, and a manager with a huge person. He sort of wills his personality onto the team, but he is so combustible. And do, do you just wonder if this, you know, there's enough stability there for a, for a long-term project with Conte? Well, it depends what you mean by long-term. I mean, most clubs these days, three years is a long-term. I mean, you know, look at, I mean, Arteta's 
done very well. I mean, there are many times Arsenal might have sacked him in the last three years, but they're they're reaping the rewards for that now. But Conte, I, I think if Spurs can can finish top four again this season, maybe win a European trophy, finish higher than fourth, or at least challenge for longer. Um, that I say, win a European trophy, win a trophy. Um, Champions League would be great, of course. <laughs> but um, in fact, there's many people who believe that for for the likes of Tottenham and Chelsea and Liverpool, winning the Champions League is actually easier than winning the Premier League. You know, but um, but if if Spurs can say win a domestic trophy and or get to a final or compete right to the death at all those in all those competitions, League Cup and the two cups and then get to, you know, last eight of the Champions League. I, I imagine he might see that as a positive building block on what happened last year. Um, would that be enough to keep him for signing a new contract? I, I hope, I like to think it would. Uh, and um, and who knows where we go from there. But as you say, it's combustible. And um, But I, I just, you know, if you look at it from his point of view, um He's obviously getting very well paid. He's competing in the top league in the world. He's competing at one of, if not the world's best stadium. He's got a fantastic training ground and facilities. He's been able to bring in his entire squad of Italian coaches and support staff. He's got one of the world's best strikers uh, in Harry Kane. He's got, you know, and Son, when he's on his game, would would be considered right up there. Um, he's got a lot of uh, very important building blocks already in place. And if um, Levy uh, and uh, Joe Lewis continue to open the purse strings for him, yeah, I mean, I, I think he might well think, yep, well, there's something we can continue to build on here. It's always good uh, fun having a yarn with you, mate, um, talking football uh, and just uh, just reflecting on how much we love it and uh, and uh, and speculating on, on what there is to come. Uh, mate, um, you stay well and good luck with your Spurs and uh, and maybe we'll talk to you in a month or so and, uh, and sort of uh, yeah, reflect yeah, on this conversation, well, see how it all played yeah, out. For sure, yeah. I'll look, uh, you know, we've got to stop the Mitrovic who, who, who couldn't get warm when he was in the Prem last time, but Fulham are a decent side. In fact, you know, they're all. If you have a second favourite team, Fulham are my second favourite. So I'd like us to beat them, but then I hope they do all right for the rest of the time. I'll get your hot chocolate. Stay up till midnight, mate. Rug on the legs <laughs> and uh, and watch the footy. All right. Cheers, then. See you, mate. Michael Lynch, uh, one right, of right. Uh, the, the leading voices in this country, the most authoritative voices and the most chief football writer with the age. Okay, stoppage time. After the break, we'll wrap it up on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. This is Stoppage Time. Uh, Michael Edgley, probably tuning in. How are you, Edge? Um, you're heading up to Sydney to watch the Matildas. Uh, you'll be our man on the spot. That'll be interesting to chat to you about those games next week. Hopefully some good news. Uh, we're going to bring it home with uh, Stoppage Time. Derek is in the chair while I'm eagerly waiting on standby. Now, we, uh, we, we gave a trial run to our new format of Stoppage Time last week. We were working through uh, a game of the week, a team of the week, a moment of the week, a hot topic. Um, I know Derek's got a few uh, uh, 
preferences that he's thrown up there. And uh, I know I have a couple of observations, as I have no doubt Willem will. Derek, lots of games, lots of goals in the past week. Um, okay, your game of the week. Game of the week is Antrecht Frankfurt 4 and Werder Bremen 3 in what was a frantic uh, game. But Frankfurt, the uh, defending Europa League uh, champions, uh, beating Bremen there. And why that jumped out at me, not just because it was a, a great game, ebbing and flowing game, classic breathless Bundesliga stuff, but it was because uh, Frankfurt's new signing, Mario Goetze, scored his first goal back in Bundesliga uh, since 2019. He's 30 years old now. He, he has recently been in Holland with PSV, where he had an okay time, I think. I don't think it was, uh, a, you know, shooting the lights out, but he, he certainly... Uh, has has come back and uh, yeah, we've been reflecting this week uh, in the chat about 2014 and Goethe arriving on the world stage mm-hmm. and arriving to score Germany's winner in in that game, Rob. And it just goes to show that life and indeed football doesn't always pan out the way you think. No, no, I remember we, um, we were. We were talking about this, and uh, I uh, recall when he first emerged, Goethe, um, that he was being spoken about as the as the next um, stalwart of De Mannschaft uh, in the uh, in the spirit of uh, the most recent um, uh, captain who who spent uh, the better part of the decade in the role, Lothar Matthias, and and many before him. So uh, it is good to see a veteran come back, and it'll be interesting to see if he can uh, can get a spot in that uh, that squad um, that Hansi Flick takes to to the World Cup later in the year. I've got a couple of, um, of suggestions for uh, the game of the week. And, uh, and if there hadn't have been the midweek matches, um, and, uh, and again, uh, acknowledging, you know, that we don't want to make it the Premier League Echo Chamber, but since you've gone for one of the other um, uh, top uh, leagues around the world, I will go with the Premier League. Uh, to uh, uh, give apologies to, to matches like uh, City's comeback against Palace, um, the first of Haaland's uh, ha- uh, two hat-tricks in a week. Uh, of course, um, I would have uh, mentioned Liverpool smacking Bournemouth at Anfield 9-0, but the one that I've settled on is uh, Liverpool stealing the result um, in the extra of extra stoppage time 90 minutes plus eight, Fabio Cavallo nicks it into the back of the net at Anfield. Uh, Newcastle bereft. Look, to be fair, Alexander Isaac on debut scored a beautiful goal to put Newcastle ahead. And uh, and even the, the most... Um, uh, bias of supporters that have to admit that that fractional uh, VAR offside that ruled out his second um, was probably a little bit unfair. I think he deserved the double, but uh, hey, I don't really care because uh, they paid the price, Eddie Howe's men, of trying to waste too much time and allowed the referee to to give uh, those couple of extra minutes of stoppage time. If you haven't seen the highlights of this match, um, even if you don't have Optus, it's as simple as just typing in English Premier League league and and you'll find the highlight package unless you absolutely hate liverpool which um i know some of you uh, out there do willem uh, do you have any um, any other uh, you've seen derek's nomination and um and i've tried to raise it have you have you got uh, something that trumps us i was just raising my hand to say that i hate liverpool uh no i do have uh, one i'll uh, i'll jump up across the border to uh to celtic nine nil against dundee and then four one against ross county so it's been a big week uh the edge machine in full swing uh, and the second season often starts to see the depth in his squad's build. Aaron Moy getting some game time. A couple of other signings coming in this 
week from Ruben Kazan, uh, Saeed Haksabanovic, and Oliver Abildgaard. So we'll see if we do those guys over the coming weeks, I'm sure. But Derek, it all does uh, boil down, not only to the first Old Firm derby against Rangers, but yeah, it's a welcoming Real Madrid uh, to, uh, to Celtic Park in the Champions League. Rob? Well, I'm going to do an edge, um, noticing that you mentioned Derek's name and just leap in here and, uh, and pick up the running. <laughs> Thank you, Edge. Um, with the, the next uh, uh, item on the agenda, which is the team of the week, I noticed uh, uh, you may well have already uh, nicked um, one of Derek's suggestions, but uh, I can't imagine that there's any way he would possibly not name his uh, arsenal um, after five straight wins. Is there any way that you don't nominate them, Derek? I think just for the um, for the purity of the show, I can't nominate Arsenal. I'm happy for someone else to nominate Arsenal. It was a good chat with Lynchy earlier. Um, I do think Arsenal, I mean, obviously I'm delighted. I compared, compared to last season where I just wanted to pack my bag and go home. It's, it's very different. But, you know, 2-2-1 two, two, victories at home against two not very fancied sides. It isn't scintillating but even Richard Keyes came on rather curmudgeonly on television and criticised Arsenal fans for essentially celebrating like they'd won the league in both of those games I felt that was a bit a bit harsh given that Arsenal are constantly uh, being criticised for not having an atmospheric ground as soon as we do that's a big problem apparently but no like um, like a bowling ball there um uh, Willem has come crashing into all of my pins because I was going to say Celtic, um, but not just because of the 9-0 versus Dundee United, which of course uh, led to uh, Jack Ross getting the sack as the, as the Dundee United manager. And we'll get on to another manager who was sacked after a 9-0 later on in this segment. But um, their women also won 8-0 as well. So that weekend, there was a 17-0 uh, aggregate win for, for Celtic. So... I don't know how you can not have them as the the club, the whole club as the team of the week. It was the biggest away win uh, in their history, and as as uh, as uh, Willem said, it, it sets everything up for that first old firm clash of the season uh, at the weekend to come. And Rangers will be hoping to put a dent in that because five wins out of five. For uh, for Angie's men is certainly a formidable start, along with Arsenal, of course. Well, I'm I'm going to nominate um, uh, one of the, the clubs from one of the other big leagues, uh, the City R, and that is uh, uh, Gian Piero Gasparini, the former uh, uh, legend of Palermo and Pescara, uh, who has after uh, they um, they dropped off last season. Um, the, uh, the Atalanta story um, resumes undefeated at the top of the ladder. Okay, only four matches in. They're sitting alongside of uh, a player, a, a club whose uh, manager you love to mock, Derek, uh, Jose Mourinho's uh, Roma. So both are undefeated on 10 points. But we all just love that Atalanta story, um, a club who uh, represent uh, a region of Italy that uh, that suffered so much in the early days of COVID. So uh, great to see um, a, uh, you know, a, a journeyman manager and a journeyman player um, like uh, Gasparini um, get uh, get Atalanta back up the, the top of uh, uh, the Serie A in the, in the race for the Scudetto. One more, gents. Um, I'm going to go for Preston as well. They were pretty close. I don't know how closely you've been following the uh, the EFL, uh, but Preston's first uh, six games of the season have gone as follows. Nil-nil, a one-nil win. <laughs> nil-nil, nil-nil. Nil nil and a one nil win. So they are undefeated. They haven't conceded a goal. But if you were a Preston died in the wall home and away man or woman, 
you'll have gone to six games and seen two goals so far. So uh, Banking early points. There. Very important yeah. to bank early points, Derek. <laughs> yeah. Still a minute. Well, I don't know that that's going to qualify for the moment of the week, but it, it's going to be pretty hard to, to go past uh, the... Um, I know we reluctantly use this description, uh, but uh, in some cases, uh, to describe a player as a freak is a compliment. Uh, to, to have the package of, of physical uh, presence in terms of his height and his athleticism, uh, his ability to, uh, to to command a game with his game sense and ability, his timing. I mean, if there's one contrast uh, that I love about the player we're obviously referring to, which is Erling Brad Haaland. Oh, um, I, I thought you were talking about me in the Hillsville League. Yeah, well. Hillsville <laughs> football, Tuesday well, night. You know, you're the reigning um, uh, golden boot of the Hillsville uh, football <laughs> competition, I understand. Uh, but uh, the uh, contrast that I was going to make was, and to, to credit him, uh, 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 Raheem Sterling has landed reasonably well at Chelsea, uh, but he had this propensity to, to just miss his mark and be just offside so often, whereas the opposite seems to be the case about Haaland. Um, are we agreed that the moment of the week is, well, probably two moments of the week where he's two hat-tricks? Yeah, I don't know how you, I don't know how you can look past it. I think Lynchy called him the Terminator. I wrote down, and that's a pretty good description. His kind of physical attributes, the kind of, you can't kill him. He just keeps battling on regardless of uh, the scenario and this guy doesn't need to be cute about being offside it doesn't matter he doesn't need to time his run to perfection because he's pretty quick anyway but he can just maraud through the middle of center backs and and quite comfortably too so that double hat trick which puts him on nine goals after five games that's made him that's the record now for a start for a player uh, in the top league of English football, he's beaten Sergio Aguero and Mickey Quinn. For any of our older listeners who might be fam- familiar with him, some wag on Twitter said that he's currently on target for 68 goals uh, for the for the season if he continues at this rate. Do you remember the critics after the Community Shield where he drew a blank and, blank and everyone said that Dar- Darwin Nunez is going to be the next big thing to hit the Premier League? Well, what a bunch of cretins those people were. We know we know it was clickbait, and we know it was kind of stoking a a story out a story out of context. But I think the scary thing on the Harlem point of view is, and for for people trying to compete with City, is there is he's no World Cup for Harland. He will be able to go to the beach for a month, and even if he is a bit kicked around and a bit bruised by defenders and it's starting to employ some roughhouse tactics uh, to try and stop him, he can go and put his feet up and. Um, you know, put a, probably put a, put him up on all those match balls that he's that he's got in the house. Maybe they'll run out. Maybe they'll run out of balls this season to to give to him. So it's a um, yeah. I think we all called it at the start, but we're now actually seeing it in full flow, gents. Yeah, quite he's, uh, I think he's seven goals short of his old man Derek, having played 160 games less for Man City. So he'll catch him in record time. The most impressive goal for mine was the second against Forest of his three uh, in the first half. It was actually a magnificent assist. Uh, which showed that uh, he's capable of uh, being part of the interplay and not just the finish. Uh, in the end, the assist was defended and the ball just sort of rolled back into his path. The open goal was beckoning and he put it in for his second. But yeah, uh, the interplay uh, and the attempt to give it off, I thought was uh, was most impressive for that second one against Forrest. Yeah, and look, to be honest with you, the, the person that you have to feel sorry for, apart from the uh, the Forrest goalkeeper, Dean Henderson, of course, would would be uh, his teammate, Julian Alvarez, who scored his first two goals for Manchester City in that game. And one of them was an absolute cracker. And no one's going to remember that, unfortunately. So I do feel slightly sorry for him as well. 
Mm, okay, noted. Um, right, so the hot topic of the week, um, looking at your notes here, um, you, you've got headlines, sackings, transfers, relegation. Uh, I don't think anyone survives a, a 9 nil drubbing, do they, Derek? Uh, yeah, no. Uh, Ralph, Ralph Hassan, who Yeah, but certainly, Rob, there was certainly a lot of noise around his job after that. And, of course, he bounced back the following week and... He's doing some interesting stuff over at Southampton. I, I think they've made probably a better start to the season that a, a lot of people were thinking, including myself, that they might struggle this season. But yes, um, I called this segment sackings, transfers and relegation because it's kind of it's started now um, it's with, with Scott Parker going from Bournemouth. And yeah, the 9-0 was a very substantial straw that broke the camel's back on this occasion. But He'd already been grumbling for the for the for the first four games of the season. He clearly wasn't happy with the state of the squad. There were bad bad vibes around him and the team at the time. And you know, Bournemouth have chosen to let him go. I, I think it will be interesting where Scott Parker ends up next because he's. I think he's now managed to promote two teams, um, but he hasn't managed to keep the job once he's actually got there. So he he may earn a reputation as a kind of promotion manager, and there are people like that out there. I people in the past that have done that done that job well, but I think he'll be disappointed that he doesn't think that he got the backing. And then we were talking about. Um, Forest on the, the 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 end of that six niller, and of course they're the opposite to Bournemouth because they've now mm. signed twenty players, and you know you're kind of losing count of of, of who um, Forest are signing now. But it's an extraordinary um, amount of money, and yet even with all of that, they still managed to lose six nil, uh, albeit against an inconsiderably, you know, superb. Manchester City team. So uh, Nottingham Forest are doing a Fulham, as is the the, the term that they use, because Fulham in 2018 spent $100 million on 12 players and, of course, famously went down uh, because it just it was felt that there was just too many changes for their squad and the, the, the sort of makeup and the team bond to, to take, really. But it's the opposite problem. So you've got, you know, on the one hand, Bournemouth, no um, signings. Forest, on the other hand, loads of signings but still struggling. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, they uh, off the back of that um, hiding they copped um, at uh, at City. They they placed Bournemouth, who, uh, who who managed to sort of steady the ship a little with that nil all result uh, um, at home against Wolves. But uh, they you know that that win that they they uh, they managed and, and draw to start the season in the first three games uh, has them sitting um, on four points and sort of you know just below the mid table mark. So. Uh, uh, Bournemouth one one uh, spot below them on the ladder. Uh, uh, that's one to watch this weekend. Willem, did you want to make any contributions before we wrap this up? Uh, I think, despite the fact that they have made twenty one signings, a couple of those have gone out on loan. Not to not to take away from the point, but Derek, I think one that has come in through the door in the last couple of days uh, is Willie Bolly from Wolves. Uh, he was actually selected to take the uh, or to make the match day squad at least for their most previous match. Refused uh, and has got his deal through. So hopefully he'll stiffen them up a little bit uh, at the back. Uh, maybe we don't have time for it, but next week I think the hot topic might be uh, Chelsea. They've signed former Arsenal captain uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Derek, I'm sure they have some strong mm-hmm. opinions uh, on that. Uh, we were all sitting here wondering what the club was going to look like post-Roman Abramovich, but uh, Todd Bowley's come in and he's clocked up, uh, or he's racked up a, a bill of 270 uh, million euros in his first transfer window. Uh, Wesley Fofana as well through the door in the past couple of days. So uh, if, uh, if Thomas Tuchel 
uh, doesn't manage to get this side together and get them at the very, very pointy end within the next couple of uh, couple of weeks or a couple of months, the expectations might be just as high under the new uh, ownership as the previous. Yeah, we can we can maybe talk about Chelsea next week. I know one, I can't remember who said it, but um, they're saying that Chelsea spent two hundred and fifty million and somehow have made their team worse, uh, which is is quite quite the achievement. And yes, Aubameyang. It's a funny game football, isn't it? Because Aubameyang was subject, you know, surplus to requirements as Arsenal. He was seen as a bad egg, someone that Arteta was very keen to get out. The goals were drying up uh, there and he was booted to Barcelona, of course, where he was pretty prolific for a little period before it tapered off uh, at the end here. And um yeah, Chelsea obviously just feel like they need a striker and he's a gun for hire. And also remember, Barcelona needed to sell a player in order to get Kunde into their squad. They still hadn't registered that defender, so someone had to go. They couldn't get rid of Frankie de Jong. So Yang, even though he's only been there, probably hasn't even paid the first mortgage payment on his place in Barcelona, will now be house hunting again in uh, in southeast London. Derek? Uh, thank you, mate. Um, I find this uh, this little format's working well. Uh, we're going to change some uh, other uh, elements of the show um, in a little while. We'll announce those all next week, um, but it, it, it basically involves more box-to-box. So just a little teaser for our listeners out there. We, we had a great uh, catch-up with all the boys who work on the show, and we feel there's, uh, there's uh, some more content um, that we can deliver on a weekly basis for our listeners. So uh, stand by for an update on that next week. So, uh, Derek, we'll, we'll will reveal all looking forward to that gents thanks absolutely we'll have a good uh, week ahead willem you too thank you very much rob thank you gents and Damo, we'll actually a uh, part of our changes we'll be hearing more of the voice of damien tardio and maybe some of his stylings on uh, on city r um when we uh, when we uh, b- reboot uh, this uh, this show and and some of the extra uh, parts of it that we're going to bring to you uh, in, in the course of the next few weeks. But uh, most importantly is you, our listener. Um, if you're not there, then uh, what's the point of making this after all? So please make sure you subscribe to box to box wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, uh, and join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game.